Hey, Jordan. How's it going? Hey, Rob. Hey, um, just waiting for Ken to show up. This is really like, this guy's gone way too far this time. Yeah. yeah. I'm just tired of having these conversations. Yeah, it's really, I'm getting so, okay, here he is. Ken, can you, can you come on in here, please? Yeah, what's up, guys? Ken, I think you know why we called you in here today. We got a complaint, um, an anonymous complaint about your behavior on Twitter. And, you know, we want to review the company's social media policy. Uh, you know, we've had these conversations time and time again. We think we've been pretty generous, but I think this time um, you seem to have been trolling uh, somebody uh, on, on Twitter using a, a Dr. Sims. Now, we don't know who Dr. Sims is. No. Um, but they seem to be pretty upset when when you had trolled Oh, are you guys talking about Na- with him? Naomi Wolf? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, she's a, she's an anti-vax... A- well, she's an anti-vax person. I feel like if I can send her something from, you know, a picture of, with of an obvious, you know, very famous porn star and then have anti-vax stuff in it and then she tweets it out without looking into that, I have to say that's more her problem than mine. Okay. Well, it see, it does become an us problem when you don't consult mm-hmm. with us ahead of time before you, you target these, uh, these people with this kind of targeted harassment. She's a donor. Oh, shoot. Is she... Um, well, surely there's some kind of disposition we can reach. Um, I think it's reflective of just kind of a broader trend with your behavior. Mm-hmm. And whether it's her or whether it's the Biden administration or other reporters, at the end of the day, like you, you're ruffling feathers that we don't really want. Because, Ken, look, this is the year that the president is going to return to the White House Correspondents' Dinner, and we want to be there. Like, we don't want to jeopardize our invite. We don't want to, at the very least, we don't want to be at a worse table. We want, you know, close proximity to to movers and shakers in Washington. So your behavior could jeopardize our invite to the WHCD. Well, it just seemed like a good-natured prank, and I feel like whenever you've got the, you know, court jester, there's always some leeway there given by the king to let him, you know, do his uh, japes and, and jokes and... It's understood that that's you know that's how it goes. You have to. Well, you know, I appreciate you referring to me as as the king of the of the hierarchy that we have here. I mean that that does give you some good points here, Ken. But I meant more Biden. But um, you're certainly in the you're certainly in the royal court. I see. But look, this isn't the first time we've had this conversation with you. Countless. Times. Can I just ask? It was Steve King. It was Rick Grinnell. It was. It's now Doctor Wolf. Elon it was Musk. Harry Cherry. Elon Musk. Ken. These are all our friends. Yeah. And look, we didn't want to have to do this, but we talked, and we think, that, and we we ran it past Judy and HR. The right thing to do. I think we have. We're going to cut your hours um, to thirty nine a week, and we we ran the numbers, and unfortunately, that renders you ineligible. Uh, for healthcare, so uh, sorry about that. But you know, maybe Wait, we can reconsider. Is that in what the six months? Okay, I just got that email about the new hours, and you literally have it for thirty-nine hours and fifty-nine minutes and fifty-nine seconds. That's right. Yeah. What? Can, just okay, one second. You can do one more, and then I'm full time. I'm sorry. It's just this is what we felt was was necessary. Okay, actually, can we get security in here? Because no, but if I don't like, have healthcare, I'm going to become jokerified, and that is going to cause me to do more of this kind of stuff. Because then I have nothing to lose. Well, we do live in a society. One with healthcare, maybe? Not in your case, no. Okay, I'm just going to start. Because I figured, you know, Ken just caused this big uh, controversy with this big stunt that he just pulled, which we were just discussing. Wildly inappropriate. Yeah. Because first of all, who was that guy? I understand the in the image of the, that you sent to Naomi Wolf of the this so-called doctor doing that kind of anti-vax thing. I wasn't yeah, familiar was with his work. I'm not sure who that is, but like, because that I've never seen him. No. Well, I guess the conceit is like a holistic doctor. <laughs> um, you know, he's a he's a Renaissance man. He's he does a lot of things. He's okay. been a plumber. He's been a pizza delivery boy. He's right. Uh, right. been a doctor. Oh, um, okay, so he's like a dirty jobs like uh, yeah. It's guy. the gig economy. Well, you know, he's, we gotta. Mm-hmm. You know, he's yeah. You have to have a you have to have a um, side hustle, uh, like so many millennials do. Um, you know, he he's someone that he moonlights a lot. Okay, 
Okay. Check out my piece uh, in the Daily Beast this week. Like what the what the Doctor John Sims saga says about the modern realities <laughs> of the working class. <laughs> but okay. But, but seriously, who is this Naomi Wolf? I like. I've this is someone that I like. I'm not familiar with, or I've never really like heard of this person until like a couple weeks ago. Now she just keeps popping up time and time again. I feel like she's now addicted to the weird like outrage cycle of Twitter that she keeps doing this stuff now. Like who is this? And Ken, this is like from you're an investigative journalist and I feel like it's a little bit rude that you're, you're attacking someone like this who has done such vital reporting on the square cloud controversy. <laughs> and the yeah, so you're you're referring to a tweet of hers that was The clouds um, that don't move in these. That, yeah. That's that's important stuff and I feel like you're kind of making light of that. Yeah. Um, you know, I <laughs> I don't know the etymology of um, the uh, people that that uh, believe in in chemtrails, so I'm going to try to tread carefully here. But uh, you know, she's complained on Twitter before. Well, this is a pro. This is a pro chemtrail uh, <laughs> podcast, so, so please gonna, tread tread. Yeah, I'm going to be careful here. Chemtrails. Um, but, uh, let me just quote from some of her tweets because <laughs> this is it's the tweets that that <laughs> were the catalyst for all of this and got me interested in it. Um, you know, she was a Rhodes Scholar and a uh, professor of English for a long time and uh, wrote books that were very popular on her big book was um, The Myth of Be- the Beauty Myth. Um, and so she was respected. I'd read some of her stuff in the past. It seemed sensible. And I was sort of shocked to learn. It was kind of like visit going back to your hometown and visiting a friend you haven't seen since high school and finding out that he's a Q person. That was my experience with yeah. um, checking her timeline <laughs> um, because she has quotes. She has tweets like um, y- you read one more square clouds. And it's just a picture of a cloud. Um, and then, uh, what she's this saying is here is a fascination that, of hers. Yeah. Yeah. Seems like what she's saying is that these clouds were like manufactured in some way. So here's, here's another one to give you guys a sense of what, cause I don't know the mind canon of, I don't want to, you know, speculate as to yeah. you know, why she's saying these things, but, um, here's another That's one. Okay. She says, um, very distressing. I saw a cloud in London that did not move at all along with other eyewitnesses and plates of cloud. That's not a type. I mean, I'm, I'm just reading it word for word and plates of cloud in New York that didn't move much like mm. this video. And another one, <laughs> another one, she says, um, she's, she's messaging Alaska airlines. She says, thank you for noticing my tweet. Is it normal for contrails to simply not dissipate, <laughs> but spread and create cloud cover? Yeah, because she she was trying to do like a chemtrail tweet, and they like the corporate the corporate account tagged her like thanks for thanks for <laughs> the nice pick. People have to work there. Can you imagine that? That's the economy is responding to um, affluent you know people angry about um, the the stuff coming out of the plane, not the yeah. not the carbon emissions, but um, the, uh, co- the the chemtrails, I guess. Mm. Here's my favorite one. My home, New York City, half blue sky covered with fake cloud slash man-made particulate. The other half spotted with, apologies, some weird eruptions that look like drone farts. New York City is filled with rich entitled period. How are they not appalled that wealth no longer protects our clean air beauty of sky? Yeah, the famously like non-polluted um, New York City. <laughs> New York City skyline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly worse than uh, the photos you could see where you literally like couldn't see anything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> from like twenty, from like fifty years ago. Very but, strange. Um, yeah, that's what got me interested in her. And then I, you know, started checking her timeline after I just saw someone tweet some of these things out. And so I saw that she was like, uh, I don't. They, they always dispute these characterizations. So I'll say she said she seems skeptical of vaccines. Um, you know they. When you talk about vaccine skeptics, they always like to get very pedantic about it. Today. No, I'm not actually against. I'm actually I'm against this version of it or so. So, so I'm I'm not going to get into that. But um, looking at our tweets, very clear like theme of, of vaccine skepticism. Um, you know, which struck me as dangerous. And so I thought, you know, um, <laughs> what if I send a uh, a fictitious quote from a fictitious doctor um, who's in fact a porn star. Wait, I thought you said he was a real doctor. Well, uh, what does doctor even mean these days? You know what I mean? I mean, there's Eastern <laughs> medicine. Right. You're, you're coming from a Western medicine point of view here. <laughs> yeah, right. It's kind of culturally He's a general internist. Yes, I, th- yeah. I think it's fair to say he is an internist. <laughs> Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, as other people pointed out, he's seen a lot of the human body, so he's yeah. he's, he's got different kinds of <laughs> qualifications. You're just yeah. you're putting your you're putting your very Western, uh, you know, credentialist uh, yeah. uh, presumptions to bear on on this whole situation. But um, what what it was, in fact, it was is it's a porn star Johnny Sins, and so I got a picture of him dressed up as a doctor, and I. Uh, DM'd her and said, "Oh, look at this great quote from uh, Doctor John Sims." I didn't say Johnny Sims in case she Googled it. Yeah, uh, and 
uh, she was like, oh, this is great. I'll have to post it. So then she posted it with Dr. John, Sim- <laughs> Dr. John Sims colon. And then the quote was just some made up thing I had where it was like, you know, if, if vaccines are so great, why do we have to pressure people to get them? And then, um, you know. Yeah. The- yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, you can have insights without. That's what I'm saying. Do you have to be a medical? Do you have to have MD after your name? Do you have to have this alphabet soup of, of credentials to, to have insights right. about the universe? I don't think so. No. It's called being cautious. So, <laughs> yeah, apparently um, the internet thought he had insights too because a lot of people started retweeting it and, and uh, including Mr. Sims know, himself, it. I noticed. <laughs> Johnny He's Sims getting in on the action, Dr. Sims. <laughs> so, in a sense, I wasn't, you know, maybe he did. I mean, he clearly, uh, he it seems like he agrees with the sentiment. So, uh, yeah, you know, I, he must, yeah. Well, yeah, so, so I don't know what you guys, you guys seem angry about it. I don't, and I'm hoping you're not gonna <laughs> no, withdraw. Yeah, I thought from it was, my, I thought it was quite funny. We were talking before, you guys have an incentive structure for the vaccine, and I'm hoping that um, I'm, I still have access to the vaccine you guys have promised me as a uh, contractor. Yeah, keyword access would be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, that's well, so, good. I mean, I've, you know, I, I have been contributing. Um, I'm doing this episode. I, uh, you know, yeah. I, I retweet episodes. Um, so I, I hope that yeah. I, I hope that that can, you know, facilitate that access. We'll, we'll talk we'll talk off mic about this because this is a little you're kind of putting us on the spot here um but no okay so i didn't think it was like inaccurate to frame her as a vaccine skeptic because she came across i started noticing naomi wolf's tweets because she was very kind of like uh, argumentative about the mask stuff and like like kind of like bragging about going to restaurants and with a group of with groups of people and kind of pushing back on that kind of stuff so it's it's not I, oh, yeah, I, I think it yeah. makes a lot of sense in the context of all these different tweets that I've been seeing where not not only oh yeah and she has that, that great tweet about how like children are not smiling anymore they've forgotten how to smile oh yeah let me read the, you because, this one because so she thinks that her thing she went on the Tucker Carlson show and said that you know it's tantamount to totalitarianism if I, if I recall if she didn't say it on the show she certainly you know said this on Twitter it's totalitarian to have the you know quarantines and, and mask mandates and things so here's here's one of the tweets uh, that speaks to that she says terrifying semicolon children now don't have the human reflex that they when you smile this is it must be a typo that they when you smile at them they smile back i'm seeing kids with their lower faces hanging inertly absolutely unmoving facial muscles when they take their masks off dark circles under eyes from low oxygen lassitude (laughs) (laughs) and then the first reply i just noticed this citations please or it didn't happen and she says the child i love is the citation (laughs) Mm. (laughs) like meeting her jerk her child That rocks. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's like when you look at this timeline of of going from chemtrail adjacent stuff to um, kind of anti-mask, anti-lockdown stuff to now more full-on, um, you know, vaccine skepticism. It just it seems like a pretty normal progression from for someone on that pipeline. It's just weird. It's always strange in this kind of modern future world uh, seeing these kind of like public figures go down that pipeline you're used to it being like your weird uncle or whatever on facebook but it's interesting <laughs> seeing these people that have like careers and and you know used to be kind of you know part of polite society and stuff kind of go yeah down i can't stress path. enough how much cachet she had with kind of like the liberal left spectrum for a very long time so this that's what's so surprising about this and i thought potentially dangerous because um you know people a different group of people will listen to her then um you know if you've got your usual kind of uh you know right wing uh alex jones kind of audience yeah yeah it's very strange it's kind of bringing that same kind of weird conspiratorial mindset about this stuff to this weird kind of more elite uh liberal crowd it seems like it's, it's very strange um I, I i worry about i worry about the future i mean like I'll, I'll take it i'll make i'll take it to a dark place <laughs> i think this is going to be like we're going to see long-lasting effects of people just online constantly for a year in a time of great like yeah. health misinformation and crisis um this is like going to become i don't know if it's the norm but way more commonplace and we saw like the rise of QAnon during this time when people are just stuck inside on their phones with these proprietary opaque algorithms feeding them radical bullshit anything to keep them online and still using that platform and i don't know how her evolution has been but i would you know maybe it was a little bit slower and over time than most people but others i mean everyday regular people are just completely different than when the pandemic started and there's going to be long lasting effects and now we're just having like 
you know, we had this during the Trump years kind of at a 10,000 foot level, but now it's like, it's intersecting with so many other, yeah, it's, 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 it's accelerated, like you say, and it's intersecting with so many other facets of society, this nature of objective truth. And we're in for a really bizarre future as this kind of stuff continues. Um, and when, when people are getting their information from, again, these these tech giants that have really dark, opaque systems and how they feed information to people with no oversight or checks or balances like that, you're just going to have uh, artificial intelligence just radicalize humanity in really bizarre ways. Well, to lighten the mood here, I don't know if you guys saw, but um, Trump is going to be launching his own um, social media platform <laughs> in in six months, which I ask listeners, what, what do you or what do you guys think the over under is here that that's not going to happen in the time frame they mentioned, and that when it does happen, that it won't immediately just be like the ACA website and not work the first day, and you know, char- I cannot wait to see what the um, subscription package like what you have to pay and the kind of private information you have to fork over in order to use it. I, I foresee yeah. a lot of yeah. a lot of comic potential here. I'm going to have to like stake um, out my username on that as soon as that launches. So no, I don't get any fake accounts on there. Yeah. I'm going to claim, I'm going to claim Ken Clifford's name on there. And I'm going to start I can just see Boom. we all grab each other's names first. <laughs> it's like the minute it goes yeah. live and then we try to get our own and everyone else has already taken it. Yeah. But, but talking about the, the way that people, I mean, yeah, this, like you pointed out, Jordan, this is something that we've seen throughout the Trump era, but it, it really feels like we've passed through some kind of singularity where now it seems to be like accelerating and intensifying. Um, and that's the thing. It's not just these AI algorithms, but it's also, it's like these tech, you know, these uh, tech company of uh, Silicon Valley bros like Jack Dorsey, who are all into these weird, like holistic health things and like raw water and probably Jack Dorsey is probably someone that does have like some kind of vaccine skepticism. So it's like the people that are running these social networks are already plugged into that lifestyle. And I've kind of like, I like believe that kind of stuff. So they're literally programming the, the, the AI that way probably as well. Um, so I, I guess tangentially, related there was something that happened today that i was in disbelief when i first saw it i didn't think it was real and i had to watch it a few times um but did you guys see the tiktok influencer who did the tour of the amazon uh distribution fulfillment center i saw that video but um i did not watch it but it seemed extremely uh fucking dystopian when i with the clips that i saw of it I I'm going to post the link uh, in, in our chat here. Maybe we could put the audio okay, uh, in yeah, the episode. Yeah. Hey guys, I'm so excited to be here at the Amazon Fulfillment Center. Let's go inside. <laughs> We're gonna go inside and see how all the magic happens, how you get your packages and everything else. I'm gonna put my mask and head on in. How do you like working here? I love it. The reason why I love working here: growth, opportunity, and experience. As soon as you step inside this facility. And the experience just comes to you. Yes! You see so many people. Yes! So much diversity. Yes! This is so cool. Oh, yeah. It's still on her TikTok, but she deleted the tweet, and her name, I guess, is Quen Blackwell. People seem to know who she was. Uh, I have no fucking clue, but she's got six million uh, TikTok followers, <laughs> and she is outside of a... Amazon facility and she's like hey I'm so excited to be at this Amazon fulfillment center let's check it out she laughs and there's like some effects we're gonna go inside and see how all the magic happens how you get your packages she goes inside and there's like this like crudely shot on a phone b-roll of conveyor belts and mixed palletizers and all this kind of heavy uh machinery and showing how the facility's automated and then it cuts to her doing a fucking tiktok dance <laughs> in the amazon facility <laughs> before she talks to a a a worker and she's like what do you like here and he's like i love the opportunity for growth okay take a second and step back yeah Amazon is in the middle of a huge fight over the unionization of Bessemer, Alabama, its facility in Bessemer, Alabama. And now all of a sudden they're rolling out a TikToker to go in and candidly talk with with employees uh, about how much they love the opportunity. And then as he says something, he's talking about the things he likes there. He's like, I, the experience, it just comes to you and the diversity. And she's just like, 
yes, yes, just screaming. And it's just like, I, it's a perfect encapsulation of how these evil entities weaponize identity and diversity to deflect from what they're doing and how it disproportionately and negatively impacts people of color and marginalized groups. What would it would make the lives of black and brown people in Bessemer, Alabama and surrounding communities who work there exponentially better if that facility was unionized. And now they're pushing out this TikTok. I don't know what the dance was called, but she's doing it in the facility with literal screaming about the word diversity. <laughs> and at the end of the day, they don't fucking give a shit. It's all it's all a fucking facade. Amazon is one of the most evil entities on the planet, and their mere presence disproportionately and negatively affects black and brown people around the world. It's just it's so unbelievably hollow and transparent. And this and this TikTok and this and this influencer campaign that they're rolling out is a perfect distillation of that. <laughs> it's hilarious too how out of touch they're like, this is what's gonna get the teens on our side if we do this. Like I think you're gonna get one over on us, a so-called Amazon Union. Well, wait till we bust out this uh this TikTok dance in our uh, reminds, facility. It's gonna really turn the, the tides. Do you guys remember when Amazon had all those bots? I don't know if they're still doing it, but they had thousands of bots that were, there was some story that came out and anytime you tried to check their replies, half of the replies would be like, these bots are like, I work at Amazon and I love it here. And it was like, yes. do you guys remember that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so now yeah. they have, now they have people dancing. I just. Friend of the show, uh, Diana, I think went on a whole, like got on a whole conversation oh, right. thread with some of these bots. It was extremely dystopian <laughs> and weird. Trying to have conversations was, with these the people that are that like, I like being me, exploited, actually. I think it's great. It reminded like, me the most mm, of okay. the Saudi botnet. That yes. was the thing it reminded me. Yeah. So that's where we're at now. It's like a medieval kingdom. <laughs> the, Saudi, the Saudi accounts that pop out whenever you mention like King MBS are so funny. <laughs> keep, your nose out of, keep your nose out of business where it doesn't belong. And they send you like a picture of like a plane doing 9-11-2 to your yeah. house. <laughs> You just go on Google Earth and find her. <laughs> yeah. Well, those those um those Amazon bots. It probably is based in some kind of like troll farm, you know, right. halfway around the world somewhere. Right. So it's probably not Absolutely that far away from weird. being the truth. Because all the accounts were like name and fifteen numbers. It was like Jeremy, right. and I love I love taping up boxes. It's the best. Yeah. And it just you know any type of labor. I mean, they called this in in the, in the old days like Lordstown syndrome. Where like the monotonous sure, routine yeah. work would make people like go nuts, but then they all of a sudden there's these like smiling chipper Twitter users who love this kind of monotonous work. Yeah, just division of labor to maximize. Profit. What I love about so, the video so is evil. I love how narrow the frame is on the video, as if they don't want you to see what's going on in the sides. <laughs> <laughs> like they're gonna get some guy. What was the allegation that they were people were urinating in bottles to not get uh, hit on oh, their yeah. quotas because they wouldn't be they weren't given enough time. For breaks that's been well that's one oh, of the yeah, facets of how evil they are it's they're they're uh, unbelievably obsessed with like their their employees bathroom breaks they've got like ais that monitor their truck drivers while they're driving around to determine not only like whether they're happy or smiling or yawning and then they get deducted points about what their facial expressions are but yeah like having them on the clock and like forcing all these people to like not be able to take proper bathroom breaks that's why i was always found it was so sick when all the news came out about bezos's new mansion that he built and there's like 35 bathrooms in it or something <laughs> <laughs> he's extreme it's extremely Jesus fucking Christ. there's some weird pathology going on there with bezos well, this and the place is like stuff. the epitome of the um like industrial organizational like we're gonna measure everything with a gps and know like down to the nanosecond like how your time is being spent how an employee's time is being spent mm -hmm. so it's like i can't think of a more yeah dystopian representation of what the future holds and to see it contraposed with like with like dancing tiktok teens is like so insane well i mean it's a couple things so first at the senate finance committee hearing this week on income inequality uh bernie sanders had uh, a leader uh, uh i wouldn't call i mean it's not a union yet but she is leading the effort one of the one of the people down there leading the effort um, testify about working conditions in this plant. And she was saying that, yeah, like you say, they're like heavily surveilled and their time is tracked down to the second where if they spend too much time off task, they get docked or penalized. And, you know, after a few, if you're not constantly being productive for the world's richest man, you lose your job. And in a community like Bessemer, Alabama, and they seek out communities that are 
deeply impoverished or struggling or, you know, there's tons of people working and living paycheck to paycheck and working hourly jobs, that's everything. And you could lose your job on the spot. Now, I, I think a lot of people who listen can relate to this. I certainly can. I know you guys can. That fucking is horrifying. Yeah. When you have an hourly job and that's all you have, the thought of losing it is terrifying, especially if you're you are a parent. I, I can't imagine the psychological toll that inflicts on people. And if that's their only opportunity in their community, I, I like that's that makes sense because that's why Amazon would target a community like that. They they prey on that desperation. Yeah. Well, so especially that, especially in the United States as well, where it's like your ability to afford health care is dependent on your how yeah. much you're earning at your job. You know, that's uh right. make it adds an extra level of stress and like in uh, you know, this torturous uh treatment. Sorry, what were you gonna say? I interrupted you there. I, Oh, but to do that is, is is incredibly insidious and, and manipulative. And on top of that, that again, the world's richest man and one of the biggest companies in the world is doing this shows there's really no limits. I, I mean, not that anybody here that listens is is unfamiliar with this concept, but like it just shows like this is it. This is this is this is the, the purest distillation of capitalism that they are willing to continue to do this. There's no limit for their for their greed. And they're just going to continue to try to amass and accumulate wealth. When does it stop? Like, how does it stop? Like, how many people are going to die before it stops? This is the road we're on and nobody wants to do anything about it. I heard from somebody who works in a, I can't remember where the facility is at, but an Amazon facility. They are no longer provided water by Amazon. They now have to provide their own water in these facilities. And like hundreds of people are getting sick. People, you know, people have been complaining about unsafe conditions throughout COVID the entire time. You can't even provide water. Well, less <laughs> for bathroom your breaks. Employees. Then. That's it's so simple. unbelievably greedy. You don't want people going. Yeah, to and the bathroom. all the bathroom things. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and the testimonies. They have to like. They have to like rush to the bathroom uh, because it's like these giant like multi football field type facilities, and there's only a couple bathrooms. They're all the way across the facility, and your time. So you basically can't do anything else. You just run to the bathroom and come back, and that's your break. And you have to go through security and they check to see if you're stealing anything. It's just, it's weird. Very, very weird. And again, I, I, don't, I don't know if you've seen it, but it reminds me a lot of um, Sorry to Bother You and the facilities that they're building yeah. in, in that movie. It's just so, it's so, it's so spot on. Well, even more dystopian as well as this story that just came out um, a couple of days ago. Um, it was in The Information and then it was a piece on The Verge about this. But Amazon is expanding an existing program that gamifies warehouse work to encourage its fulfillment center employees to improve their efficiency and compete against others for digital rewards like virtual pets. Um <laughs> 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 As the Washington Post reported in 2019, some employees have used FC Games performance to ask for so-called swag bucks, a proprietary Amazon currency that can be exchanged for company merchandise like T-shirts and water bottles. So it's like, yeah, if you if you beat your employees in your productivity targets, you get some company script that you can go spend in the in the Amazon store. Isn't that How, wait? Hold on. Welcome everybody. They can just mint their they own, own swag. Bucks? They can mint their own currency. How is it legal? It's like they're creating this like sub-state within the state where you like live there, you work there, you make their own money. It certainly seems like that. Yeah. Jesus Christ. I imagine. Absolutely. Within five years, they're absolutely going to have residential facilities at the plant. Christ. At the facility. Oh, I'm waiting until we go further into the climate crisis. We can all hang out at like the Eastern Seaboard, Amazon Dome City, where we all live and work. (laughs) Like that's what they're, they're, they're laying the groundwork for this right now. Like this is where this is Dude, where this is going. I just invest in rope now because the netting to keep you from jumping <laughs> off the top is going to, it's going to skyrocket. Jesus. Rope futures. You got to invest in those. Yeah, rope futures. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just I'm just like it's so fucked up. Like you know, you this Amazon employee like um you know gamifying your productivity uh, against your other employees, like dodging like dodging delivery drones down the highway, like losing your foot to like a fucking robot that's like not programmed to get out of the way I of human like beings. I would like to know the details of these pet. I'm just picturing like I don't. When I was a kid, I had a gigapet, and the worst thing was if you didn't feed it, it died. I'm just picturing it's like you meet your quota so the puppy doesn't die. <laughs> yeah, yeah, your little Tamagotchi <laughs> Amazon thing. Yeah. Well, actually, it's cool. I, I I read more about that app. Um, if you say if you do have your foot run over by a robot and and you you know incur an injury, if you opt to forego filing a claim, uh, a workers' comp claim, you actually get rewarded with an extra meal for your digital pet. I think that's pretty cool. 
this wonderful. I don't know what everyone's complaining about. I mean, mm-hmm. do they have skins for the pet? <laughs> uh, I do know. We can look into this further. I, w- I am actually much. I am actually very interested to learn the more the details about this this gamified shit that they have. Um, yeah, in their uh, in their uh, warehouses, like it says here, another of Amazon's mini games is called Tamazilla, a play on the popular Bandai digital pet project Tamagotchi. While others are more competitive and pit employees scores against workers at other warehouses around the country. Wait, we were literally just joking about this being a Tamagotchi, but they just said that's what it no, is. No, it's literally based on Tamagotchi games. Like, <laughs> and depending Christ. on the on the product you're moving and the efficiency, if you hit, if you hit the certain efficiency targets, the Tamagotchi lives. Perfect. And if you don't, I mean, it doesn't, and that's you have to look in the mirror and accept and accept your responsibility for that. <laughs> you just, I'm just foreseeing this 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 article in like um, Jack of Enders. It's like the uh, the. The, the Tamagotchi funerals Amazon workers are being made to hold. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. I mean, you ha- you really do have to laugh, but it's incredibly grim. Like, and it's, it's, I think that's like what you're saying, Jordan. It's like, it's not just, it's, it's grim for right now, but it's not just about right now at this present moment, but you can see how like they are building something that like you can see, like you can very clearly see the sort of path that it's on, uh, getting completely, oh, yeah. completely fucking out of control. Especially as we have this kind of like Prop Twenty Two economy, which is not just going to stop and start in California. You know, that's going to you know reverberate throughout the United States and probably internationally as well. Although I did see like um, in the UK, they they won that case against Uber drivers, so Uber drivers are actually getting paid a living wage in the UK. So that's I, I was encouraged by that, just because like that's like okay, that's the first kind of major court ruling that i've seen that's actually pushed back on this new sort of tech gig uh, uh entrenchment uh in any way because here it just seems like it's just getting worse and worse and worse with no end in sight and we're back oh, we're, yeah we're back now because i was silent oh. i was silenced when i was just talking now um apparently the silencio yeah apparently the the website that we use to record this podcast is in fact uh, owned by Amazon. I don't know if it's owned by it's. I don't know if it's owned by Amazon, but it's hosted. hosted. Yeah, that's not even a joke. Uh, I thought you were on. kidding, and you post the thing. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, every mostly it probably everything is anymore. Huh? Well, that's the thing. It's good that they now control this and the entire fucking internet. And then we've just yeah, allowed what, that to sort of mm-hmm. happen. Yeah. Yeah. What happened to the so capitalism is supposed to the, the story is, and I don't agree that this is a good way to run things, but you know, everyone's supposed to be in competition with each other, and that drives costs down or whatever. It seems like the competition part is kind of gone. Yeah. So what do we have here? Yeah. It seems like if only we had historical context for what that looks like in the long run. So the picture was always yeah, the picture was always corporations can't run things because then it just becomes it's one thing and then there's no incentive or whatever. Well, now we're down to one thing. It seems like in 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 all sorts of different ways. Basically, and they can, it's not just one people. It's not just one company controlling an industry. Now it's one company trying to control like every industry. Mm. It's it's that I think that's what separates it from like the fucking just yes the eighteen hundreds perfect. <laughs> well, yeah, that's been accelerated too by the pandemic. I was looking at some of the studies. The extent to which small businesses existed, it's just been it's been it's like the meteor to the dinosaurs. The effect that the uh, pandemic yeah. has been, and then uh, the wealth of these types of you know super conglomerates. Just I mean, they're like the only parties making off. Um, you know, well in all of this. So I imagine that's gonna it'll look even worse. If that's even possible. Yeah. And that was an inevitable result too, as long as, as governments didn't just like leave these places to die and didn't say just like, okay, well, we'll, we'll allow you to keep this place open while you're dealing with this disruption. So instead what's happened is America is that they do these like staggered lockdowns, which has been a terrible way of actually confronting the virus. Also, they've not provided real support for any of these businesses that are suffering from it. So not only has it been a terrible health outcome, uh, but it's been it's been catastrophic for these actual small businesses as well and allowed for this kind of like uh, tech takeover in all these uh, all these industries. You have to wonder at the perfection of the awfulness. It's like perfectly bad in so many different <laughs> ways that would probably yeah. be difficult to pull off if you wanted to. Yeah. You yeah. almost have to respect it. <laughs> you admire it. Admires purity. <laughs> uh, but to your point about the how it's this, it's conditioning us for an even bleaker future. The way that these types of practices become normal um, and accepted in society are always through less overt means. And one area we're seeing that a ton is deepfakes, which are absolutely going to be used for 
extremely malicious, calculated misinformation to the detriment of the broader society, whether it's political or business or whatever, that's a very dangerous technology. Yeah. But it's it's ingratiating itself with us through I'm and I'm fucking guilty of it. That like that now there's an app where yeah. you put a friend's picture and it sings that fucking Tomato Town song. <laughs> and my buddies and I have been laughing about that in our text messages for like a week. Um, but that's how it gets in. There's an there's an old TED talk from Bill Joy of Sun Microsystems in the early 2000s who talks about among other things nanobots and these are. Uh, nanotechnology is really fascinating, but one of the ways you could use it is put these things into your bloodstream and it could, you know, operate on your brain or fix things in your bloodstream or cancer, like do cancer. medical procedures internally. Yeah, yeah. It has great medical potential. That's really horrifying. Like what other ways could it be used? No, but you technology know? is like, always used in the good. That's, that's scary. Historically, it's been used in the good ways <laughs> and not the bad ones, though. Yeah, that's right. No, yeah, For right, the common ever. good also but, as well as another big. <laughs> he says like we've had this technology for years. The problem is just broader social acceptance. So what they do is they backdoor it this way through some app where yeah. everyone jokes and then a machine learning AI uses all everyone's pictures to teach itself new things and become more advanced and sophisticated. Yeah, it's like, this is really scary and insidious, but I can't help but laugh at seeing like Benjamin Netanyahu doing the what is love <laughs> dance. Like, you got it. Yeah. Well, but it's, it's it, indeed, it is, uh, it is very grim though. Yeah. As with most things that we talked about on here. Uh, yeah. What else have you been working on lately, Ken? Uh, what have, um, like, have you got any cool scoops, stories you want to, what have you been you've been talking about it and gradually i haven't even gotten a chance to say congratulations actually on the job the new job at the intercept is very exciting oh thank you uh yeah i mean i'm looking right now at the i mean so much of the discourse around the southern border in the uh conditions of um you know the individuals being detained and processed so on and so forth that leaves out a uh critical uh uh sort of proceeding um context which is why they're all immigrating or uh, traveling there and, you know, it's framed as migration, which, you know, presupposes some degree of choice. Um, but if you look at the conditions that they're fleeing, um, a lot of folks are, you know, a lot of the people migrating are from places like Honduras, where the um, homicide rate is, you know, very high. Um, and so, you know, if they're fleeing, you know, uh, death or, you know, very bad conditions, it's a much different um, you know, phenomenon than someone looking to make some money, uh, which is generally how it's characterized. Well, unfortunately, um, the U.S. government so, has nothing to do with political instability in Honduras, so those people are just going to have to yeah, pull themselves not, up at the bootstraps. And <laughs> well, so you're going to hold that against Biden, who it's not like he was in a you know White House that uh, sided with the coup government that overthrew mm. Manuel Zelaya, <laughs> who had you know raised the minimum wage and um, overseen you know whatever you think of him, um, a general improvement in socioeconomic conditions, uh, after which is you know ouster the military. Um, uh, saw an increase in the homicide rate that that uh, brought Honduras to um, I think I, I think it turned it into the um, number one um, you know rate of homicide in the entire hemisphere. Um, yeah, that all happened under the Obama administration when um, Biden was vice president, and that would be nice if we had some context there so people could understand you know why are folks coming here. That would help to um, I think uh, have a sensible response to it. I mean, it's a sort of focusing on, you know, really micro level stuff to say, okay, well, what are the conditions once they're here? It's kind of like, well, is there anything we can do so that they don't have to come here? And then you could dodge the problems of the conditions and, you know, let people live where they want yeah, to Yeah, I'm live. sure many of these folks that do immigrate would probably rather stay in their own communities with their own families. And um, that that is really one of the most grotesque things about, you know, U.S. immigration policy and the way that immigrants get held up as these, you know, you have people like Donald Trump or Tucker Carlson or any of these other kind of conservative demagogues who portray these immigrants as being these kind of diseased people getting across the border, taking away jobs and doing all this, um, while also ignoring America's like long history of wreaking absolute havoc in Central and South America politically and overthrowing democratic elected governments and funding right wing death squads all over the place um, and creating the exact chaos and the exact set of situations that it requires to lead to these like uh, migrant crises, which are which are now seeing. And that's why I always it's it's unbelievably grotesque to, to then see Americans bristle at the idea of, of immigrants from these nations like crossing the border. Um, 
it's it's always just pisses me off so much it's disgusting yeah and i wonder if people wouldn't be a little more empathetic if they understood that um you know uh no it's not necessarily we're doing this great charity that we're bestowing on individuals it's more like you are um making amends for some horrible thing you did before and partially um you know making up for that by allowing them to live somewhere where they won't get killed um you know, I, but I don't know. We may never know because nobody wants to talk about it. And they treat this stuff as though you're relitigating the cold war or something when the reality is it's sort of amazing how proximate all this stuff is. So, um, you can see a lot of the, um, uh, migration flow from that coup that was just, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, which is really not that long. I mean, you don't have to go very back, you don't certainly don't have to go back to, you know, like the, um, Sandinistas and, and, you know, kind of cold war era stuff to to see why this stuff is happening you can look at things just in the preceding administrations which is pretty incredible so the crisis on the border though really has escalated in the last couple of weeks hasn't it like especially since biden was was elected but it this really does seem to be like escalating and i don't see i don't see anyone proposing any kind of like an actual solution to like confronting this in any realistic way which is you know it's extra disappointing considering the ways that as we've discussed many times on the show um not only biden's campaign but like many liberals during the trump era like made this their kind of like issue that they cared about the kids in cages that we keep you know we keep talking about this um and now we have this like escalating situation where uh kids are indeed being put in cages in increasingly desperate conditions there and there just seems to be no end in sight of it like what is the what is the latest story on what's happening in the in the southern border yeah so um they don't have enough you know resources to house them and things and i think um in certain respects things have improved uh since the trump administration which was just openly sadistic with you know family separation and things like that um which you're not seeing happen on a policy level anymore but um the fact is they're trying to respond to a geopolitical problem with um an immigration solution immigration solutions and um I don't see how we're going to respond to this. So, you know, I mentioned the, um, you know, military coup in Honduras. That's just one example. Another one would be the um, gradual and under President Trump virtually wholesale cutoff of um, foreign aid to these countries that, again, I wouldn't cast so much as uh, charity as as just some kind of um, recompense for, you know, the horrible um, things we've done in the past uh, to prevent these countries from being able to, um, you know, uh, function in a way that people are able to stay in these countries. So, um, so long as, you know, that kind of at the very least aid uh, isn't isn't sufficient to, um, you know, permit these countries to function, uh, the refugee flow will continue. And I think refugee is the right way to characterize a lot of the stuff and not necessarily immigration. And so responding to it with, okay, well, we'll build more places, or we'll build better places, or we'll, you know, have more humane things, which, you know, uh, I support. Um, that's always going to be wholly insufficient to, um, you know, re- respond to these things that are really geopolitical in nature. I yeah. think. And I mean, hey, it's not even it's the, not even the last couple of decades of U.S. policy, but it's it's also centuries of colonialism uh, prior to that as well, which have, which has led to this exact situation. Right. Right. And I guess that's another thing that you're talking about the how we're being prepped to accept certain very grim realities of the future. That's that is one other area that I think uh, that is currently happening. Um and this is something that I talk about often because of how fucking terrifying it is, but just the the future of the climate crisis and the fact that whatever whatever issues there are right now on the southern United States border and the number of immigrants that are trying to get into the United States and Canada um, and, you know, and places like Western Europe, um, this is only going to escalate dramatically over the next decade or or, uh, or longer. And the idea that, like, if this is still not being addressed in any, like, profound way or if it's still these kind of, like, band-aids are being placed over this, like, really cruel uh, and unfair system, that's going to lead to some extremely fucking dark uh, stuff happening in the future. Um, yeah. And another situation that will be exploited, um, by, you know, demagogues, uh, here in the U S, um, to say, look at all this great stuff we're giving these folks for nothing because they're not given the context of that. Um, the global North has been by and large, uh, the, uh, you know, chief, um, uh, carbon emitters. Uh, it's not these poor countries that people are having to flee from that, that, uh, contributed anywhere near the, you know, carbon footprint that, um, the developed world has. And, and yet, um, you know, our people here in the U S and in Western Europe are told that we're just being so, we're just, you know, we're just giving up all of our wealth to, for in charity for these folks. When the reality is they're fleeing a, you know, environmental, 
um, crisis that that uh, largely the developed world brought on. Yeah. The you mentioned it earlier, but they're um, you know there's they're not really considering other alternatives. There's no solution or anything um, on that. We've talked about it before, but they refuse to think outside of the standard punishment, consequence, imprisonment framework. So they've got these facilities, they've had them for years on different, on, 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 in various border towns. They've reopened some, like Homestead in Florida, which now goes by a different name. But all of these facilities, or many of them, have, have histories of abuse and neglect of kids who are held there. And you have this rogue agency that uh, mistreats them, that at the onset of the Biden administration won't even cooperate with new protocols, continue to deport people. And the Biden administration just kind of throws their hands up and says, like, well, we don't know what to do. Like, it's it's tough. There's so many people coming. Like, you don't get it. It's nuanced. And at a press conference, I think this week, maybe last week, uh, Saki said something like, a lot of people have criticism, but I don't see them, you know, providing yeah, exactly. alternatives or Is ideas. This... It's like, you're the fucking president. <laughs> like, you work in the fucking White House. Well, yeah, this nuance. And, <laughs> it's, it's your job. And on the other side, you have conservatives that are like, all right, you know, real talk. Let's be let's be plain spoken here. Let's not get into these theories. Reality is they broke the law. Okay, well, let's expand <laughs> that and say, okay, who broke the law? No, when no, you no. Destroy- Don't look what what caused them to come here. Right. Don't yeah. think about but, that. But well, yeah, let's be let's be plain spoken and and stick to the facts. You know, who broke the law when they recognized an illegal coup government that ousted um, the elected mm-hmm. leader? That's that's breaking the law. Why does that not count? Oh, it only counts if it's you know our domestic law. But I mean, we're signatory to international treaties. That means that we have to respect those laws as well. Oh no, that doesn't matter. So it turns out you can yeah. only talk about things in this very narrow prism. And as long as the entire debate is um, is is you know uh, uh, kept to the boundaries of this discussion of what are the conditions of the camps going to be, I mean that's a losing argument uh, in in the context of human rights generally, and it's a losing argument politically too because it doesn't get at the main issue which is why is any of this happening which nobody wants to talk yeah. about well and then you hear the argument that's like well you know my grandparents came here legally and so and it's like well they just came on a boat and just signed <laughs> a piece of paper when they got off the boat and then they just went and just went and got right. a job it's got a, a job somewhere i remember <laughs> that yeah, when i was a kid my my mom came here from el salvador very similar conditions as the folks that are coming here now and i remember as a kid we were talking about um uh, it was the Elian Gonzalez case in Cuba. I was maybe like, oh yeah, it's maybe like eight or something, and some, and we're all discussing it in class, and and then people are getting really angry about illegal immigrants and this kind of thing. And so, you know, very naively, I asked my mom, I was like, hey mom, why did you come? Why didn't you come legally or whatever? She just laughed. She's like, oh, that's just for rich people. And then, um, <laughs> you know, I I didn't really know anything then, and now I look back, and that's literally true. I mean, you can only come here if you're rich. And so it's like, oh, wait in line, you're cutting in front of everybody, dude. They're never gonna let someone from Central America in. They're, First in line are Western mm-hmm. Europeans and, you know, everyone else that has the money to be able or to navigate. if you're extremely wealthy, which is why they want to frame, they, they want to push for this merit-based right. That just means rich. Yeah, there's no merit. I mean, yeah, exactly. by merit, you mean that your parents have, you know, a million dollars to give lawyers. I mean, the whole thing is a joke. Talk to any yeah. any yeah. immigration lawyer. They'll tell you. This is not a controversial view. Like, this is taken for granted. Right. Um, you know, and and so that's, I mean, that's another just plain fact. Okay, you want to be plain spoken and just talk about the facts they're breaking the law. There's no other way for them to flee the situation. There's literally no other way. There's no way they're coming here legally if, unless you have like a PhD. And if they and stay a, there, they get ill. They could get right. killed. Like, that's the thing. People don't really understand, like, what's, what intervention and destabil- uh, destabilization in the global, and just basically the global south, but especially in South and Latin America, at the hands of the United States and the CIA and corporate interests in the states, uh, ultimately for oil or or you know whatever textiles, whatever they want, um, this <laughs> the end result is is violence upending their communities, and if they stay, they're at risk of of being harmed or killed. So they come here seeking refuge. Like it's it's not. It's not a hard equation right. to figure right. out, but people are just deliberately yeah, you have to, unwilling to well, do and so. And in the mainstream, they don't offer people this exp- – so, you know, um, there are probably people with, like, racial attitudes that are never going to want to listen to this stuff. There's probably a lot of well-meaning types that would be open to it, but TV's never going to talk about this. You think they're going to talk about, you know, right. recent U.S. foreign policy in a way that is honest about, you know um, – that unfortunately, in some respects, or in many respects, our, our, our motives aren't even good, aside from, you know, whether we're incompetent or I not. I was amazed. That's that, never going to get said. I was amazed that there was a story on CNN the other day about the, the famine in Yemen. Like, can you believe this is happening? What in the right. world? How does this happen? It's like, well, this has famine been going on. Like, you did this. You've been doing this for, eight, this is for almost a decade now. 
Yeah. Famine, Famine comes, comes to, to yeah, Yemen. It just happened. Just that came was the headline there. they used. Comes to. Yeah. And then it was like, Jesus and then the next, Christ. and then the next sentence of the headline was, um, and the Saudis aren't helping. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. Dude, that's uh, this that's is a joke that we would make. Again, like leftists outpaced by reality. Yeah. Oh, wait. I saw one today on CNN uh, shortly before we started recording today. It was uh, CNN follows migrant children at the border. And they're like literally walking the border with someone from uh, Border Patrol. Like they're they're embedding themselves yeah. with the fucking like jackbooted thugs for like what they claim to be sympathetic coverage. So you have like the power centers on TV basically going, oh, we just, you know, we want the best for them. Like we're just looking out for them as they like abuse them and imprison them. Yeah. Um, fucking Christ. Uh, another really relevant example of what you're talking about as well right now is uh, Haiti. Because like um, talk about... Uh, you know, these centuries of colonialist exploitation there, plus recent uh, United States political meddling has led to like this completely destabilized situation there, uh, where they're trying to back the current like neoliberal uh, presidency there while people are, are protesting against that. Uh, it's a completely chaotic situation. And DHS and, and uh, the Biden administration are like deporting Haitian migrants right now, like back into this situation that's completely destabilized as a result of their own of their own actions. And it just it doesn't seem to matter. And it's it's really sick. Yeah, it's clear it's just not a focus. Foreign policy is not a focus of this administration. Um, I mean, insofar as that means, um, you know, pursuing a more kind of progressive path, um, you know, as embodied by, for example, the Iran deal, that's just, it's not, it doesn't seem, it's it's not like they are so opposed to it. It's just like, it's not a priority. They're focused on domestic economic stuff and they've done some good stuff um, to that effect, but it's just, um, and, and, you know, it's not sadistic like the Trump administration, but, um, but just not, it just, they don't seem to care, you know, that's just the impression I have. Well, it seems to me um, as well with, with like secretary of state Blinken and the Biden administration foreign policy, it doesn't seem that they, it's not that they don't care is that, that I, I do think it is shaping up to be a more hawkish, like more, uh, traditionally like conservative, uh, you know, imperialist, uh, foreign policy, um, and that's that spells trouble for everyone as well. And like you mentioned, the Iran Iran deal that was one of the big things about Biden's foreign policy in comparison to Trump. One thing that would possibly be like a good sign. But I don't know. I haven't even seen any signs that they're in here that much of a hurry to uh, get back into that deal. They're they're instead they're making all kinds of demands uh, on Iran, uh, the ones who again signed the deal in the first place and and you know met all the um, all the standards that were in place to in order to lift the sanctions off their country in the first place. They're you know they're making all kinds of demands on Iran. Um, they're they're bombing Iranian targets in Syria, and it's just like the, you know it's the capacity. This reminds me of the, what we we're just talking about. To think that this stuff you could be doing as a sort of um, compensation for something bad you did before, and instead conceptualizing that as some grievance that you're having to just give all your stuff to someone else. That's the same way this Iran thing is being framed. It's like, oh, we're not just going to like give you all this great stuff. It's like, hold on a second. We violated the, yeah. a treaty that we signed under Obama unilaterally by Trump. And um, was there any ever sort of compensation for that? Like just humiliating uh, this leader and, you know, destroying probably for a generation the hopes of um, any sort of liberal party in Iran because we just completely upended this illegally in contravention of the agreement. And suddenly it's like, no, Iran, it, it, it they owe us. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, what <laughs> we've just forgotten. Mm -hmm. We just walked all over the deal that they stuck their neck out to make. You know, it's like, well, we have to. Yeah, I, <laughs> they, they stuck their neck out uh, to to agree with us or, or to engage in diplomacy with us after the Stuxnet attack. And it, I'm, I'm shocked we even got to the bargaining right. table with them after that deliberate attack uh, on them and, and their facilities. But they did. And then we pulled out, and now you have a bipartisan group uh, of legislators demanding that we enact or we, could, we, we extract further concessions from After them to even negotiate. This, yes. was, this wasn't like and, we disagreed. And we humiliated crippling them, them. Crippling the, them with sanctions in the, in the pandemic right. that made it worse there. We're just inflicting untold suffering on the Iranian people out of a callous disregard for who they are, for their autonomy, for their well-being, because we don't like their leadership. So we're taking it out on the people who live there. It, the, the pandemic was exponentially worse because of sanctions the U.S. imposed on them and that most Democrats 
supported on top of, uh, I think, all Republicans. Bernie was one of the, like the few legislators in general who didn't because they also put it in a Russian sanctions bill. <laughs> so you had all of the hysterical liberals being like, how could you not want to sanction yeah. Russia? While you also backdoor slid in the, the, the Iran That's, sanctions. It's truly amazing how willing like mainstream, like liberal Democrats were to completely trash Obama's signature foreign policy um, with by voting for those sanctions mm-hmm. because there was some some Russian Facebook memes that they had to respond to. <laughs> yeah, the the Bernie the Bernie and the Speedo, yeah, which, which we all know flipped the election. Just too powerful. We we have to shut yeah. this down. Which just that's exactly why he was so popular was his physique. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. people they mm-hmm. they're not rational. They they just fall for the first handsome face, and unfortunately, that was Bernie Sanders. Exactly. Same thing. It's it's Steve Kornacki syndrome. <laughs> and then he became <laughs> smooth as well. That's was... like that made his powers <laughs> were exponential. <laughs> Similar. No, but Similarly before we move off the I wanted to mention too, because you're talking about the, how this gets framed as we're doing this great act of charity, like in the Iran deal, releasing those billions of dollars of funds that got right. framed by conservatives as being like, we're paying them billions of dollars. And right. it's like, it's literally their yeah. money. You're giving them their money that you were not giving them access to. Uh, you're not paying them. It's like, you're literally just like returning their money that you're stealing uh, from them, giving it back to them. Piles yeah. of cash. Piles of cash, brother. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's we're doing that's this big magnanimous act of charity is by by doing this stuff. It's just yeah, that's always what it is. We're just throw. We're just so we're just so overflowing with love for everyone that we're just giving everything we have to yeah. them, and that's what these politicians say. And if you're a regular person who doesn't have time to read anything, I assume you know why not believe that. Because it feels like I have nothing. So, yeah, maybe that is why I have nothing is we're just giving it all up. Yeah. Well, that's I mean, that's it's not just you're giving it to Iran, but you're giving it to the immigrants that are coming in. You're giving it to, you know, uh, new marginalized groups that are demanding rights. And that's that's the way in this reactionary mindset that these things are always framed. Yeah. My intent, like, I guess I don't there's not much utility and I don't I don't want to make people feel bad. Like, I know, you know, the public has limited, um, you know influence over policy and things so i'm not saying like oh you're a terrible person because all this stuff happened it's more just like trying to explain to them oh so now if we give these states aid that's actually not like we're um letting them cut you in line it's more like we're just trying to make up for something and then it'll help everyone in the end you know what i mean like i I think there's a sort of utilitarian way to to yeah no i've just i've been reading a a lot about the sort of uh the history of uh colonialism lately just kind of fascinating i've been kind of fixated on the british empire and uh there's some real crossover there with how in Britain there's been this kind of refru- refusal to reconcile with the legacy of colonialism and the British Empire and how it's still really framed there as being something that's good and something you should be proud of. The sun never sets on the British Empire and all this stuff. And how that's that's exactly why Corbyn became such a divisive figure there because he kind of challenged that and questioned it and talked about their colonial history. And for so many people in Britain, that's built so much into their not only national identity, but their personal identity. So when you start questioning that and start trying to educate people about some of the horrors that you've stood for uh, as an empire, they take it as this kind of personal insult. And uh, I think there's a, there's a huge element of that in, a, in America as well, where there's just there's just been this refusal to like learn about the legacy of the United States, like not not just in the history of the country, but just in the last uh, seventy years or so since World War II. Uh, it's really not talked about openly the way the United States has been uh, acting so belligerently on a world stage during this time and has led to all these crises. And it's the same kind of a principle where I think if you start trying to talk about that stuff and you start talking about the legacy of American imperialism and these really exploitative practices, people who have been so brought up on this idea of American exceptionalism and you know the, the, the good guys of the world, the world police and all that stuff, and really believe it, that's that's I think a really soothing thing for people to hold on to that they are that you are kind of this good uh, you know benevolent place, and when you start questioning yeah, the, it, they they take it as as this personal insult because they've they they've put so much of their personal identity into this idea. Yeah, as if they were in the NSC with like uh, Woodrow Wilson like signing the. <laughs> like setting up the Monroe Doctrine. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, dude, I'm not saying that you personally are some horrible... I'm just trying to describe the contours of this whole massive system of that we are all forced to, you know, live in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> we got anything lighthearted we want to end with? Um, 
Um, going to be the new EIC of Teen Vogue. <laughs> so thanks. Yeah, right. Congrats. <laughs> I hope you scrubbed. Yeah, I'm ready for scrubbed the old tweets there because you got to. I'm ready for Alex Reed Ross's yeah. expose on your cousin yeah. who was a tangential podcast. Your cousin watched yeah. watched a Steve Bannon documentary that wasn't actually pro Steve Bannon, but it had Steve Bannon on it. So what did he think when he was watching Which is it? Just as that's bad. the question. The Red yeah, Brown exactly. Alliance. <laughs> Very troubling. Um, Ken, um, where can people find your your all your work? Why don't you plug your well, stuff again? Everyone knows. I don't know if we do not have to do this. But yeah, we all we all talk to each other on Twitter. Uh, so yeah, just hit me up on Twitter. Um, I got my signal in my bio. I write for the Intercept now. You can find my author page there. Okay, that's cool. And you know, it's a great place. But it was a, it was a shame that you've already caused one staffer. <laughs> to resign in protest of your hiring. Uh, you know what that was? It's like a spy trade. Yeah. When the Russians and the Americans just exchange. <laughs> I've been freed from my, my prison and the, the gulags in the Katrina's nation. basement. Yeah. Well, you mentioned how your, mo- your mother is an immigrant as well. So you're, you're, you're coming into the country, you're stealing someone's job. Mm-hmm. It's very, Exa- yeah, that's what it is. Very oh my God, dude. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. You guys are just overflowing with generosity to be giving me all these opportunities. I mean, it would make more sense if I like Aida is also the daughter of, of like immigrants as well, uh-huh. so it would work better if it was like right. Well, that no, that's how you know it's a spy trade is because we were of a similar use, oh. we were a similar value to yes. Okay, you know, oh. they're not gonna. I see. They're not gonna give a a rook for a pawn. You know, it's gotta be <laughs> two pawns. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Ken. Thanks, Ken. Good to be with you guys. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Insurgents. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can find us on iTunes or Spotify or at Substack, theinsurgents.substack.com. You'll get the latest episodes delivered straight to your inbox as well as our newsletter. On Twitter, we are at InsurgentsPod. Tweet at us, harass Ken in our replies, and then send us your hate mail to theinsurgentspod at gmail.com. Thank you once again for listening. <laughs> <laughs>